Amen. And happy Father's Day to all you fathers. It's great to gather together to celebrate this day. Hopefully you got a chili dog for breakfast on your way into church. Uh, but And thanks for all of you who are praying for me as I was driving back east to do a memorial service for Betty Holderman. The drive was nice. The time back there with with Mike and his family was really special, but I really appreciated you praying for us during that time. Driving across the country, you, know, you realize what, a, what an amazing country we live in. It's so vast and it's so different and it's so like uninhabitable other than California, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it was still good just spending time with the Lord and cruising back there. Um, you know, we are so blessed here at our church with the men that God has on staff. And they're all men that I highly admire. And they're also men who are amazing fathers. So I thought, and grandfathers. So I thought today it's a little different, but I'm going to have each of our pastors share just for a few minutes about Father's Day and maybe a scripture, what it means to them. And so... um, Kenny's going to go first, and then Jerry, and then Justin, who's on vacation, left a video message for us, and then Nate will go, and then I will, I will anchor it at the end. So we're blessed that you could be here today, and I, I pray that this will be a special and a meaningful time for all of us. So here's Ken to start us off. Good morning. It's good to see all of you and happy Father's Day. Well, the passage I'd like to read to you is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5 in the NLT version. And it says, Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. So long ago, even before God made the world, God loved us. And before he created the universe, he already loved you. He made the universe so he can make the earth, so he can make the human race, so that he can make you so that he could love you. God wanted a family, and he wanted us to be a part of it. Our Heavenly Father loves being a father. It says it gives him great pleasure. And so on this Father's Day, I'm reflecting on the enormous effort that God has made in order to get us into a father-son or father-daughter relationship with him. He's done amazing things to make that possible. But you know, we're all God's, everybody's God's creation, but not everybody's God's children. We have to accept the offer to let him adopt us, and then we could become his children. The Bible says to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. And of all the kinds of relationships that God could have uh, designed for us to be in with him, he chose the relate, you know, not a servant, not a soldier, but he chose the relationship of a son or a daughter. That's the kind of relationship that he wants with us. Um, you remember the prodigal son who just was happy after he blew it and came home. He was happy just to be a servant. 
and that sounded great to him compared to where he was coming from. But the father insisted that he be a son instead. That was, that was what he wanted to make him into. He thought he had to do something in order to be accepted, but all he had to do was receive something just like us. We don't have to do anything. We just have to receive God's love. That's our highest and, and um, number one calling. I'm so thankful that I'm God's child. There's nothing better. I'm thankful that I get to be a dad. Uh, we're going over to my daughter's house after my nap today, and um, we're going to have a, she's going to cook me my favorite meal, and that's, that's going to give me great pleasure. Um, I'm thankful that I had a great dad. My parents got divorced when I was four years old, uh, but I actually, he was such a fantastic dad that I actually felt sorry for my friends whose parents were still together. Because my, my friends' parents would be like gone for the weekend to Palm Springs or whatever, you know, taking care of their marriage as they should. Kudos to them. But I was thinking, you know, but my dad was with us every weekend. He bought a motorhome and dirt bikes because that's what boys love to do. And so he was with us every weekend. I'd like scratch my head with my friends thinking, so sad that your, your dad doesn't like spend every waking moment and focus only on you and live for you you know, and, and want to do nothing else but just put everything into, into the kids. Um, so he was, he was great. But you know, a divorce is painful, as many of you know, and, and on top of that, being a Catholic and in the 1960s, um, there was a lot of shame and guilt that was heaped upon you. Uh, but he withstood the pain because of his love for us. His love for us was whatever was more important than whatever sacrifice he needed to make in order to keep that relationship good and to make it the best it could possibly be. And so for all the divorced dads out there, I just want to say to you, there's nothing stopping you from being an incredibly great father. Some of you don't have a good role model, but as you look at creation today, just think how much God has done in order to bring us into a relationship, to make that relationship possible to adopt us into that relationship. I grew up on 133rd Street in, in Hawthorne, and um, uh, my dad lived a few blocks away, but there was a lady there, um, a single lady um, with a special needs son, and she was poor, and she had this really long driveway. And so my dad, and she was happy to have the extra income, so my dad rented this long driveway to park the motorhome there. And so every day after work, he would come and hang out there, and his best friend would hang out with him. Neighbors would come over, but us kids would pop by and see him. And it was a strategic move because he knew that he wanted to see us, so he just kind of made it available and easy for us to see him. And he always loved us popping in. You could tell it gave him incredible pleasure. Uh, we would, um, and if, he, if it was around dinner time, he'd order a pizza and hang out and talk about motorcycles and life and, and all that. And uh, it wasn't a given that we would see him, that he would see his kids. Because, you know, if we're hanging out with our friends or if we've got sports, you know, we may not come by. So there was no guarantee. But boy, when we did come by, it just, it just lit him up with joy. Because it was a conscious choice to go see him. And he knew that. And he, even though he arranged this whole relationship and set up to, to be a way for us to easily see him, it still took some effort on our part to, to go by there. And that little bit of effort 
made a huge difference, even though he arranged it all and did all this work. And it kind of reminded me of our Heavenly Father, how he draws close to us, and he creates all this and, and reaches out to us and has a way for us to have a relationship with him. But it still takes a little bit of effort on our part. But just as my dad was so pleased to see us, it pleases our Heavenly Father when we take that, what seems like a little bit of effort compared to what he's done, to spend that time with them, and it greatly pleases him. He'll take nine steps toward us, but he won't take the tenth. He'll urge us to turn to him, but he won't do our turning for us. You know, and I remember just going to the door of that motorhome and standing at the door and looking in and seeing my dad. I could see the look on his face was that nothing's going to separate us. And, um, and he had the satisfaction that that... I made the effort to come see him, and even though he made most of the effort, I got the, and, and, and I enjoyed the visit, I got the impression that it meant even more to him. It, must, it was a little taste of how God must feel when his kids make efforts to draw close to him. My dad had the pleasure that his son came to see him, and I had the security that my dad would always be there for me, and that gave him great pleasure. God bless you. Well, good morning again. You know, um, as some of you know, uh, Elisa and I have a few children, and that number is bumped up now to five. Our, first of all, we have a son named Garrett. He's our oldest son. And then along came Lexi, our daughter. She's absolutely beautiful with red hair, and she's awesome. And then along came Hayden, our other son, and we recently got a new daughter, and her name is Jillian, and she's the one who married Garrett. And Garrett, they got married a couple years ago, and three months ago they gave birth to a little baby boy, and his name is Camden. And so he is um, our grandson, and if you were wondering, he's perfect. <laughs> he's unbelievable. So we're, we're excited about that, and you know, I want to take you back 35 years. 35 years ago, I had to call Elisa's father to ask for her hand in marriage. Now, I had to call because he was a plane ride away. Um, I had only met him and talked to him maybe twice, and he was scary to me. You know, he, he was a special operator. Um, he was there in D-Day. He was the first one on the beach. And as a result, he was also uh, awarded the Bronze Star. And so back in those days, I actually used to wear a suit and tie to work. So I, I called him to ask if I could marry his daughter. I was so nervous. I was sweating profusely. I sweated through the entire suit and the tie. I, how do you do that, right? I mean, I was a wreck. And he told me, yeah, you can marry my daughter, but you have to promise me one thing. And I said, tell me. He said, you have to promise me that you will teach my grandchildren about the Lord. And he said the second thing. You have to show them 
how to love Jesus. I said, wow, that's amazing, right? Who says that? He did. And I said, sure, I'll do it. I'll do it. Now, fast forward five years from that conversation. Elisa's pregnant with Garrett, and we're in the hospital. Elisa gives birth to Garrett. It took forever. She's worn out. It was crazy. And the doctor hands me Garrett as Elisa's sleeping. And I'm looking at Garrett going, you got to be kidding me. This little baby, I didn't know what to do. I'm like, I'm no father. I don't know. I've never handled babies. I don't, I don't know anything. And at this point, my panic meter is at an all-time high. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This is, I don't even know what to do. I, it was a full-blown, stress-freaking-out panic attack. And Lord spoke to me, and he said, remember your promise. I'm like, wow, remember the promise to teach them about the Lord and to show them the love of Jesus, to show them how Jesus loves us. And I thought, wow, I got a game plan. I mean, at first I thought, this is crazy. I mean, I get a TV, I have a huge manual. I buy a car, I've got three manuals. I get this little human being and I've got nothing, right? And it was like, wow. And so as I sat there in the hospital holding him, the Lord just said, remember your promise. And he directed me to John chapter 14. And it's a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. And it's a conversation where Jesus is telling them where he is going to go. And he's telling them that I'm going, to I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again. And you're going to be where I'm at. And you know the way. And picking it up in verse 5, Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And I realized at that moment that the Lord was saying, look, it's a narrow path. But show them how to love Jesus, right? You can screw up a lot, and I did as a father. You can screw up a lot, but if you get this right, you will have done a good work. And so I've kept that with me. Men, happy Father's Day. Swapping 
Uh, last weekend I shared from Hebrews chapter 11 and we looked at verses 20 through 22 where there were three dads in there sharing um, of their blessing with the, the future as they looked to the future and they bless someone now and we kind of looked at that dynamic but you know on just a, a simple level in Hebrews chapter 11 verses 20 through 22 Isaac blessed his son Jacob and Esau and Jacob blessed Joseph and his grandkids. There was this sense that in, in the scriptures, and we find this often, that dads had this responsibility to bless their children. They had this responsibility to look into their lives and see something that may not have been true right now, may not have been true based on the per person in their current situation, but was true based on their future in God. And I think that's an important role that parents have. It's an important role that I know fathers have as people who can speak into the lives of, of younger people. We have a role as dads to tell others that we believe in them, to tell them that we see something in them that they may not see in themselves. You know, in our culture and society, words are so often used to tear people down. Words are so often used flippantly. Words are changing meaning. Words are, are, are odd things. But, man, I tell you, when someone blesses you, says something to you that builds you up, there's no wrong way to interpret that. It makes you feel good. It makes you believe in yourself when you don't normally or, or you don't feel it or see it in yourself. And so, as Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come, and Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. He looked at his grandkids and blessed them. It wasn't about what they could give to them. It wasn't about what these dads had you know, monetarily, that they were going to leave to their kids. It wasn't about the car. It wasn't about the house that they left to them. The most important thing that these dads and these grandpas left to their kids were words that built them up, were words that connected them with the Lord, were words that saw something in them that they didn't see in themselves, and they passed along something, a blessing to them. And I think for all of us as, as parents, as grandparents, as dads, here on Father's Day, it's just people living in a world where words tear people down. I think one of the greatest things we could be doing this Father's Day is building people up, speaking to others and telling them how we believe in them, seeing a future that's brighter when God is involved in their lives and, and letting them know about that. And so me, as a dad, I'm going to focus on that. Though I'm on a road trip right now and undoubtedly wanting to probably tear some people down with my words, I'm going to build them up. And I hope you guys choose to do that as well as you look ahead. Build people up, bless others with your words, and make this world a better place. Dads, your kids need to hear that. God bless you guys. All right. I don't even know why I'm up here, to be honest. There's like an amazing caliber of preaching and teaching from this platform. Even on the screens, and then there's me. So, um, but I'm so grateful that Pastor Dave gave me an opportunity to share a little bit about fatherhood. Yes, I am a father of four. Uh, Landon, our oldest, is 12. Henley's nine. Oliver's six, and Ella is three. It's weird to even say that because it feels like she was just born yesterday. But um, finally got the girl. Uh, and I think my message would be amiss if I didn't mention the woman who made me a father, my beautiful wife, Chrissy. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's funny when guys say, we're having a baby. It's like, no, you're not. She's having a baby. You just had the fun part. 
but I think the difficult part does come for dads later on down the road when you begin beginning instructing and exhorting and raising and all that. And uh, and for the next few moments, I'm going to share a little bit about something that I've learned as a dad and something that has helped me. Uh, and this story that I'm going to read here in the Bible isn't exactly about a father, but it's about a father figure, I would say, in this uh, child's life. And that father figure is the prophet Elijah. And I'm going to be sharing out of 1 Kings chapter 17. In verse 9 of this chapter, God instructs Elijah to go find this widow, and this widow's going to provide him with some food. So he finds this widow, he asks her to make him some bread, and she's like, bread for you? I'm about to go make me and my, my son's last meal, because we don't have anything left. We're going to basically eat this meal and then die, because there's nothing left. He kind of ignores all that, and he's like, can you go make me some bread anyway? And uh, he says that God's going to provide for her, and he does, and it's like this amazing miracle, and everything's good, and then he ends up like basically renting a room from this widow. And then fast forward to verse 17 of 1 Kings chapter 17, and it says, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse, and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, the widow, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? He ends up taking this boy upstairs to his bed and prays over him and cries out to the Lord over him, and God raises this kid from the dead. And then verse 23, Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. So sometime later, it says, this all happens. It seems that it took a good amount of time for Elijah to be around long enough to prove that he was truly a man of God uh, to, you know, this widow and to this family. It took time. It took time to prove that he was really who he said he was. It took time to prove that he wasn't a fraud. Um, But I think what I get hung up on in this story is the miracle. Like, what if he couldn't pull this off? What if God didn't heed his request, which is not outside the realm of possibility? You know, would that have ruined his integrity and his reputation? And then turning to myself, what if I couldn't pull something like this off? What if I couldn't prove that I'm the real deal? What if God doesn't use me in this way? You know, what if I can't raise someone from the dead? Because that seems like that's where the bar's at here. You know, but I don't think our focus should be on the miracle. I think our focus should be on that phrase, sometime later. I think it was just Elijah's availability to this family and to this child that afforded him this opportunity. You know, yeah, God used him in this really cool and powerful way, but he stuck around long enough in order for that to happen. You know, I think as dads, you know, oftentimes we want to prove our love to our kids through like grand gestures, you know, big spectacles or surprise, or we want to buy them something cool. And those things can be cool. Uh, But the story is a good reminder that one of the best things we can give as a father or a father figure um, is your time, just being around, just being available. And when you stick it out and you're present, those cool opportunities will come and God will use you in rad ways, uh, but don't focus on that. Just focus on being there. Um, you know, one of the things that my kids like to do with me is build Legos. You know, I don't really do it for me. I do it for them because Legos are, for children, they're, those, they're toys. You know, I'm a grown adult. I don't build Legos. Totally kidding. My wife still buys me Legos to this day for my birthday. I love Legos. Um, 
but we like to build Legos together. And sometimes my kids will ask me to build something special. Like, Dad, can you make like a fort in a tree for me? Or, you know, can you build like a gun out of Legos? And so we'll spend a few hours like building this creation. And they'll take that creation and like put it on their shelf and like not even play with it. It's like, nobody touched this. Dad made this for me. Okay, this is super special to me. Um, like, you touch it and you die. And it's just like this cool reminder that's like, that, that took time. Like, that took availability. You know, if it was always like, yeah, buddy, let's, let's do it tomorrow. How about in five minutes? I'm busy right now. If it was always that, which I'm guilty of saying that many times, but if it was always that, those opportunities would never come. Those investments would never happen. Um, and, and maybe you're a father, or maybe you're a father figure like Elijah was here, or maybe you're just a parent. But whatever the case, be present. Just give your time. That's all you need to worry about. That is where the bar is at. God bless you guys. I'm just so blessed to be able to have dads like these guys be involved in ministry with me. And I'm, you know, I, by the way, I noticed on my calendar yesterday that today is the 21st anniversary of when I came to Pacific Hills. So, and you know, before that I was at Calvary Costa Mesa for 25 years. So, but my grandson assures me I'm gonna live to be 100. So my goal is to still be here 29 years from now to celebrate my 50th anniversary as the pastor, but um, we'll see. <laughs> I could, like, I, I've probably told you the story before about my grandson, Brandon. He, he goes, Pop, I guarantee you're going to live to be 100. Book it. I, pr- I guarantee it. And then I go, thanks, Brandon. And then he goes, watch, I say that, and then <laughs> So we'll see. But I'm blessed to be able to be here. You know, when, when I think about fathers, I, I think that today, in a lot of ways, we're in somewhat of a father crisis because so much of what fathers have normally been presumed to do, society is now trying to tell us not to do it. Um, we're our, by the way, if the strong survive, our country is in trouble. If the strong survive, our state in particular is in trouble. We're becoming, and and there are nice things about being sensitive to people's hurts and things like that, but it's also, if you get weaker and weaker, somebody else is just getting stronger. Driving across the country, I noticed this, like there are things that are different in other states. As you're driving, like I'm driving along, something you'd never see in California. There's a huge billboard that said, beat your child with a rod, he will not die. (laughs) And I'm like, that's a verse I wouldn't have put on a billboard necessarily. But I go, you're not in California anymore. In Oklahoma, they have these signs on the freeway. And, you know, pretty much you could drive across this country at 80 miles an hour. In Oklahoma, they have these signs every, you know, mile or so that says, warning. If you hit one of our highway workers, it's a $10,000 fine. (laughs) Like, if you hit somebody at 80 miles an hour, they're dead for sure. And you know what a fine means? It means if you spend $10,000, then it's fine. (laughs) 
And I'm like, yeah, if you did that in California, people would go, God, what a great deal. Do you take Apple Pay? Is it okay? You know, it's just people are different. Things are different. Times change. And there are some good things about time changing. But if there's a, if there's a thing that concerns me about our culture, it is that as men become more pressured to not act like men, to instead act just to act more like, and I'm not going to bag on women, but sorry, it's Father's Day, not Mother's Day, so deal with it. But, you know, women play a, a hugely important role, but at the same time, there are certain things that dads are supposed to do that our society is telling them not to do, besides the fact that as our nation weakens, it's no coincidence that we lead the world in one thing. We have more single mom families than any other country in the entire world. And I grew up in a family with a single mom. I understand that. And there are people who can still be blessed. I'm not saying it's, it's just you're done if that happens. But there's a certain effect because women are called to have a certain role and men are called to have a certain role. And the role of a man that we don't talk about that much is to tell the next generation, you need to be strong. You need to have the kind of strength that will allow you to survive in life. And again, that can surprise you, shock you, offend you. Sorry, it's Father's Day, okay? But the Bible makes it very clear that men have this role. Now, let me say this. There are women who have to also because there isn't a man there to be able to, a woman has that dilemma of I need to teach my kids to be strong and I need to support them emotionally and they can do that and some of them do it fairly well. It's not really fair though compared to the way that God designed it. Now, Paul became a father figure to several people but notably Timothy. Timothy was a guy who apparently historically was growing up in a single parent family. His mom and his grandmother basically raised him. His father was perhaps uh, lost to war or something like that, but he, his father wasn't a Christian, so he was either out of the picture or whatever, but he was raised by these guys. So Paul came along and became a father figure to him. And you can learn a lot about fathering by learning what Paul taught Timothy. And I'm just going to share with you from 2 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul refers to his son, Timothy, and says this, 2 Timothy 2 verse 1, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong. But be strong in the grace. There's a strength that's just cowardice. There's a strength that's just bullying. But being strong in grace is a balanced strength that in a practical way comes along and helps you to know how to survive in life. Now, Paul continues and says, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He said, I'm not just teaching you to be strong. I'm teaching you so that you can teach other men how to be strong so that you can lead them and continue this, the momentum of letting men know what it is to be a man. 
And he goes on and says, he gives three illustrations, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And he says, you therefore, verse 3, must endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. First thing he says about strength, you need to endure. Now, what that says is, you know what? You're going to hurt sometimes. We live in a world that makes you think if you hurt, something's wrong and you need to medicate it. If you hurt, there's something wrong. There's something you shouldn't have done. If you hurt, there's someone that you need to blame. If you hurt, you need somehow to be compensated. Where in reality, if you want to be weak, start whining every time you hurt. If you want to be strong, accept pain as a part of life. Sometimes life just hurts. I remember one guy who had a, a kind of a fatherly role in my life, Romaine. I always say that, that one of the wisest things he ever would say to me is one word. When I would tell him something that was going on and I was upset, he would respond by going, wah. <laughs> and it's like, you know what? Sometimes we need to hear that. Sometimes we're, oh, I'm, I'm so upset. I've been so hurt. Oh, let me tell you about my pain from the past. You're triggering me. You're upsetting me. Sometimes we need a man to just go, you know what? Wah. Quit crying. This is life. Life is this way. By the way, it's not just boys that need to be taught to be strong. It's girls as well. Dads need to teach their daughters to be strong, to endure, to not approach life as if it's not going to hurt, but to approach life as if pain is a part of life. You just have to deal with it and accept it. If you don't accept the reality of pain, you will live in the past. You will live feeling sorry for yourself. You will make yourself more of a victim all the time. And that's what, you know, ultimately that's what I fear about our culture is that we are becoming so sensitive there's nothing wrong with sensitivity, but at the expense of strength, it's devastating because the truth is it's going to be the strong that survive. You are not going to make it if you're sitting here feeling sorry for yourself. You better understand, ouch, that hurts. That's a part of life. I'm moving forward. I'm going to become better as a result of it. And so after Paul gives him that thing, hey, deal with the pain. Then he says in verse 4, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life because he needs to be a good soldier. Now hear what his message is, and this is all under being strong. His message here is you can't afford to be distracted. You need to maintain your focus. When someone is in a war, and he's using that as an example, you need to know what your mission is and you need to stick with your mission. If you get distracted, you'll miss out on everything that you're supposed to do and it ultimately makes you weak. So I think for all of us, this is one thing in our culture, we're so surrounded by distractions and everybody is just you know, all concerned about everything that's happening in the world. For me, like I can watch the news and I watch the news, and at the end of it, I'm exhausted. And I haven't accomplished a thing. It ha I haven't done anything to make it better, but I've worn myself out doing things that, are, that really I can't control. But what does it do? It takes my strength away from me being able to do what it is I can do and what I can control. 
and life is more than ever before, we are a distracted society. We are a group of people who are, oh, what about that? Well, what about that? Well, what about this? We have people who really believe it's their responsibility to fix the world, and so they're posting stuff, and we're bombarded on the internet with a bunch of stuff that you're just like, what does this have to do with my life? And, and so Paul would remind Timothy, hey, you need to keep your focus. You need to know what your calling is, and you need to do your job, live your life. Don't get distracted from, in, or, in order to chase shiny objects and then miss out on life that's right in front of you, on that which really is your responsibility. And then he uses the athlete in verse 5 and says, athlete isn't crowned unless he competes according to the rules. See, that's another thing about being strong. You're not strong if you cheat. You're not strong if you take shortcuts. You're not strong if you think that the rules don't apply to you. Oh, there are areas in which, in a short term, somebody can cheat and appear to be really strong. But you, like, look at all the athletes who have taken steroids, and yeah, they can look really great for a while, but it catches up to you. It destroys you. In the end, you're going to respect the people who did it right, who did it by the rules, who lived life the way they were supposed to. There are plenty of people who cheat in their marriages or who cheat in their businesses or who cheat in all sorts of different ways, but that's weak. You're cheating because you think you can't do it right. And so Paul's telling his son Timothy, no, you can do it right. You can follow the rules. That's what an athlete has to do, and that's what you're called to do. You can't take a shortcut. You can't just be somebody who, who is like, I'll just do whatever it takes to get me what I want. He goes, that's weak. That'll make you weak as well. And then finally, he uses the farmer or the businessman, and he says, the hardworking farmer must, which hardworking is a whole other issue, but must be first to partake of the crops. Well, that's kind of interesting. If you're going to raise food to feed others, you need to take care of yourself first. You cannot do the job of a farmer if you aren't eating properly. And in a whole lot of ways, this is a lesson that's easy to neglect in life, that you can be so worried about everything else that you're actually not taking care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, you are killing, killing the goose that lays the golden eggs. You are affecting your own productivity because you're like, eh, I can deal with me later. Trust me, plenty of people who are older than you could tell you, man, I, I remember George Burns being interviewed when he was 99 and he goes, if I had known I was gonna live this long, I would have taken much better care of myself. <laughs> it's true. You, you, you don't, by taking a shortcut, and neglecting yourself, neglecting your own needs. I, I know for me, if I don't get away and spend time with the Lord, if I don't exercise, if I'm not eating properly and much, then I don't have as much to give other people. I can for a short while, but in the end, strength comes because I maintain my strength, live in integrity, and then ultimately follow what it is that God is calling me to do. And when it hurts, 
I don't freak out and act like something's wrong. Oh, you hurt my feelings. So what? I gave you a chance to become stronger. I told that to somebody one time after church. I had, you know, I know it's hard to imagine, but I said something that hurt someone's feelings. <laughs> and and I and they they waited around afterwards telling, you know, when you said that, that really triggered me and that really wounded me. And I said, you know that hurt that you feel? Yeah. I go, that's weakness leaving your body. <laughs> they didn't go for it. But Paul finally concludes in verse 7 and says, Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. For every one of us, ultimately, there are, I mean, and some of us, I grew up without my dad in my life for the most part. But thank God there were other people who gave me this kind of message. At the time, I didn't appreciate it. At the time, I liked people who coddled me. I liked people who tried to make it easy for me. But as I look back at my life, I could have never survived if there weren't people who just told me. And significantly, most of them in my life were men who came along and said, you know what? You can do this. You need to be strong. You can't just knuckle under I've had plenty of weak men in my life as well, don't get me wrong, and I've had strong women in my life. But as God has placed this order, and as Paul communicates it to Timothy, a guy that was raised by his mom, he's like, you know what, here's the deal. I believe in you, but you better be strong. And you need to be willing to take pain, and you need to certainly keep your focus, and you need to do the right thing and life is going to be much better for you. In, it's almost undeniable in our world that people, that the world has fallen apart. And we as a nation are leading the way. And it's because of our weakness. It's, all you have to do is look at our leaders and go, wow. Somebody would go, that's your, that's your leaders? But for every one of us, it's like, okay, what about my life? What am I doing? And on Father's Day, I want to honor and appreciate. If, if it's true that the strong survive, and I'm not an evolutionist, but I think Darwin had it right, the survival of the fittest, it's kind of obvious that, of course, the strong survive. So how do I survive? It's going to be because there are people who tell me to be strong, who challenge me to take that step. Sorry if, you know, I value sensitivity. I'm a sensitive person. But at the same time, we need to have both roles in life. We need to be strong in grace. And we're neglecting that strong part. And we do so at our own peril. We will weaken as a people because, you know what? There are a whole bunch of other countries out there who would like to take everything we have. And they aren't becoming more weak. And we are, and it's something we should take seriously. But this isn't a political speech. This is a personal speech for every one of us. Are you strong? Who did that for you? Who taught you to suck it up and be strong and be tough and, and endure and do it right? Then today is the day to honor those people. Today is the day to tip our hats to the ones who even though at the time we didn't appreciate it, 
Well, we became stronger and more effective because of these people being in our lives. And many of them were fathers, literally or figuratively to us, and, and we appreciate them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the fact that when you really revealed yourself, you decided that the best metaphor you could come up with in the godly relationship is father and son. And we honor those who have taught us to be strong without being bullies, to be strong with grace. Thank you for the balance. Thank you for the people who are sensitive to us, who, who comfort us, and thank you for the ones who challenge us and push us. But today on Father's Day, we honor those who have shown us what Paul demonstrated to Timothy, that there's no limit to what God can do through you, but he won't do it if you're weak. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.